Dear Lord, the place of thine, thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me. And I am now complete in thee, yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified, salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Complete in me, no more shall sin. Thy grace hath conquered, reign within. Thy voice shall bid the tempter flee. And I shall stand complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, And sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned but for me, And glorified I too shall be. Complete in thee, once supplied, and no good thing to me denied, since thou my portion, Lord, will be. I ask no more complete in thee, yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought, thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Dear Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are, among thy chosen will I be, at thy right hand complete in thee, yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought, thy blood hath pardoned but for me, and glorified I too shall be. Thy blood hath pardoned but for me, and glorified I too shall be. in him. Appreciate that. If you would take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 11 all the way through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Excuse me. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. It came to pass the day after that he went into the city called Nain. Nain is kind of south. Capernaum is on the north side of, of the shore of Galilee. Nain is uh, southwest of there, down toward Jerusalem a little bit, uh, just a little bit south of the Sea of Galilee. But anyway... It says, And many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. 
He that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, The great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him of all these things. And John calling unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? In that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. But went you out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live del delicately are in king's courts. But what were you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that were born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children, sitting in the marketplace, and calling one to another, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking. And ye say, Behold a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when, Jesus, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who or what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence, and the other fifty. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, 
and white one with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou dost not anoint, this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. I've titled this, Justifying God or Self? Justifying God or Self? Verse, taken from verse 29, where it says, And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. Of course, the word justify means to declare or to pronounce one to be just or righteous. And of course, as we think about the doctrine of justification, you know, Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith, that means that we are declared righteous by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God then declares us righteous or just in his sight. But here it's talking about people declaring that God is righteous. So are we justifying God or are we justifying ourselves? And we see examples of both here in this, this passage of Scripture. So, let's so consider this this morning. First of all, I have four points. <clears throat> and then some sub-points. First of all, the affirmation of the people. You know, Jesus is, going, of course, going about preaching, and he, and he heals, a, heals a dead man. Of course, that gets a lot of people's attention. You know, if you had see, seen somebody uh, wake up out of a casket, that would get your attention real fast. Uh, and... and and, and so he does, he's, you know, continually does these kind of things wherever he goes. But in verse 16 and 17, it says this, And there came fear and all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. So here the people are affirming that, you know, a great, great prophet and that God has visited us. Now, you know, it's hard to know for sure, you know, knowing people as they are, and Jesus knowing people as they are, did they really see him as the son of God, or they'd see him as a great prophet? But this is the, you know, but they said God hath visited us, and this is the phrase that's used in the, the Old Testament about him. But this is the rumor or the saying that is going round about about him. And it says throughout all Judea. Throughout all Judea. Round about. So this is this is widespread. Now, you know, we know that it isn't going to be too long that he's going to be crucified. But and and but but again, like like even today, Israel, the nation of Israel, is divided about Jesus. There's a division. You know, there are, you know, the Bible tells us that the common people heard him gladly. It was the religious people that hated him. But the common people. So, so this, this rumor 
this affirmation of the people that, that God has visited us is going around. It's the religious crowd that's trying to suppress it. But the people affirming that this is true. And, and you think about it, it isn't too many years later that Acts 9.31 tells us this. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. Now, oftentimes when I read, when I read, if you don't, if you're not careful, you can read through the book of Acts and you think there's a church in Jerusalem and there's one in Samaria and there's one in Antioch. And then there's the churches that Paul started. That's not true. There were a lot of churches throughout Judea and Samaria. Within a few years after the crucifixion, there was many churches. It says the churches had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Remember, it was at Damascus where Ananias was that baptized Paul or Saul. So there was a church there. So, so there's this affirmation of the people that, that's, yes, God hath visited us, declaring that God is righteous, the, the righteousness of God. We see, secondly, the confirmation for John. Now, if you notice in verses uh, 18, 19, 20, it says, And the disciples of John showed him all, all these things. And John, calling unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And when the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? I've read every commentary I could find on this. <laughs> uh, and there's, of course, conflict conflicting opinion, but it, it seems that to me that John had being a human being had some doubts. Remember, of course, it was John that pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He had preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But things were not as he would have liked or expected. Where is he? He's sitting in prison. He's in prison for preaching the truth. You know, sometimes God allows things we feel or think are not the best way or how they should be done. And sometimes it causes us to ask questions. And I think that's what John's doing here. He says, are thee, are, art thou he that should come, or look we for another? But notice that Jesus reassures John, and notice what he does it with, his works. Verse 21 22 says, In that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and of many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, you know, he, doesn't, he didn't really answer them at first. They just observed. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Now go your way, tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. So Jesus reassures John's disciples with his works. 
You know, over and over again, one of the things that Jesus said was that his works bear witness to who he is. By the way, ours do too. John 5, 36. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So the works that I do bear witness that the Father hath sent me. It's a greater witness than that of John. John 10.25 again. Jesus answered him, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And then again, John 14.11, speaking to his disciples, he said, believe me that I am in the Father and Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, no man can do these miracles thou doest except God be with him. We know there's something different about you. Because no man heals the sick, makes the blind to see, makes the lame to walk, and raises the dead. And then says, thy sins be forgiven thee. No man does that. So Jesus reassures John with his work. Jesus' works and the things he did prove that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. And then Jesus also issues a warning against the danger of relying on our own understanding. Notice verse 23. It says, And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And the thought is here, we, do, we must not, you know, this is, this is a danger we have. We must not try to make God's word fit our thinking. We must allow ourselves to be led by it. You know, John had a, a great disadvantage to us. There was, there was not as yet a written record of the New Testament. So where's John getting his information about Jesus? He's sitting in jail, in prison. He's getting his information by word of mouth from his own disciples. So he's getting everything secondhand. He doesn't see it firsthand. So, so yes, he has a great disadvantage, but God gives us, a, or Jesus gives us a warning here not to rely on our own understanding. Matthew Henry in his commentary said this, and I quote, and he gave them an intimation of the danger of people were in of being prejudiced against him, notwithstanding these evident proofs of his being the Messiah. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. We are here in a state of trial and probation. It is agreeable to such that state that as there are sufficient arguments to confirm the truth to those that are honest and impartial and searching after it, and having their minds prepared to receive it, so there should be also objections to clad the truth to those that are careless, worldly, and sensual. Christ's education at Nazareth, his residence at Galilee, the meanness of his family relations, his poverty, and the despicableness of his father, followers, these and the like were stumbling blocks to many, which all the miracles he wrought could not help them over. He is blessed, for he is wise, humble, and well disposed, that is not overcome by these prejudices. 
It is a sign that God blessed him, for it is by his grace that he has helped over these stumbling stones and shall be blessed indeed, blessed in Christ. So, so again, we, you know, this, he gives us this warning. You know, we're to trust in God even when we don't understand. You ever had a time in your life when you didn't understand? Did you understand everything your parents were trying to teach you when you grew up? I didn't. You know, I used to think that sometimes my dad hated me because he'd whoop me. You know what? I don't think that anymore. Now I understand because I've whooped mine. Not because I hated him, but because I loved him. You see, we're to, we're to understand, we're, or we're to obey and trust the Lord even when we don't understand. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Your faith is trusting God, obeying him regardless of consequences, circumstances, or feelings. And God wants us to trust him. Even if we don't understand, even if it doesn't seem right or the best way to us. And I will submit to you, there are a lot of things in this life that we have a hard time grasping and understanding and reconciling. For example, people will say, if there's a God, why is all this evil in the world? Well, it's because of man's sin. Why does God allow this person to die without Christ? Well, they have a free will. So, so he warns us, he gives us this warning that we must, we must trust him even when we don't understand. But there's just a third thing in this passage. There's a rejection of a righteous God. The rejection of a righteous God is unreasonable. Or you could say it's illogical. Look at verse 30. <clears throat> It says, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Now, so they, you know, the Pharisees, of course, the publicans and the people heard him, and they justified God, verse 29 tells us. That means they declared that God is right, God is just. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, these are religious people, rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Of course, they showed it by their actions. And, and he said, basically, it is a contradiction and it is hypocritical. It is not logical. Notice verses 31 and 30, through 35, he explains that. Notice what it says. And the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. So, so when he says he's piped on you, he's played like a like wedding music, and they were not joyful. So, so instead he plays funeral music, and they don't weep.
And he's, what he's doing is make, giving an illustration here of how they treated John and then how they treated him. Look, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, he hath the devil. So Jesus comes on the scene. He says, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And ye say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. So here's John over here. He, he, he lives in the wilderness. He eats locusts and wild honey. And they say, he's just plain weird. He's a recluse. He's an austere, strange, old duck. He can't be of God. He doesn't need to eat and drink with us. He just stays by himself all the time. He don't like church fellowships. He just comes thundering out of the wilderness preaching repentance, you know, but he's really weird. So they reject him because he's weird. So Jesus comes on the scene preaching the same thing, but he eats and drinks. He fellowships. He goes to their weddings. He said, he's a glutton. He's a wine-bibber. He enjoys fellowship. He's worldly. I mean, he even eats with publicans and sinners. In other words, he fellowships with them. He goes. He, he, if they invite him to their house, he goes. He can't be of God either. So you have John the Baptist over here, and you have Jesus over here. They criticize him for not being like this. And then they criticize him for not being like this. It's like, okay. It's, you know, it's an example of illogical reasoning. And this is, this is characteristic of the devil's crack. Look at Luke chapter 11. I'll give you a couple other examples. Luke 11, verse 14. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was going out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven, but he knowing their thoughts said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub? So they say he's a devil casting out devils. That doesn't even make sense. That's illogical. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. <clears throat> Verse 10. He was teaching one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her, to him, said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. 
And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days and men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Not, not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? In Matthew Henry, again in his commentary, he says this, quote, John the Baptist was reserved, austere man, lived in much solitude, solitude, and ought to have been admired for being such a humble, sober, self-denying man, and hearkened to as a man of thought and contemplation. But this, which was his praise, was turned to his reproach, because he came neither eating nor drinking, so freely, plentifully, and cheerfully as others did, you say, he is a devil. He is a melancholy man. He is possessed as a demoniac whose dwelling among, was among the tombs, though he be not quite so wild. Unquote. Of course, the Lord, on the other hand, our Lord Jesus was more free in open conversation. He came eating and drinking. He would go and dine with Pharisees, though he knew they didn't care about him, and with publicans, though he knew they were no credit to him. Yet, in hopes of doing good to both the one and the other, he conversed familiarly with them. By this it appears that the ministers of Christ may be of very different tempers and dispositions, very different ways of preaching and living, and yet all good and useful, Diversity of gifts, but each given to profit with all. Therefore, none must make themselves a standard to all others, nor judge hardly of those that do just as they do. John Baptist bore witness to Christ, and Christ applauded John Baptist, though they were the reverse of each other in their way of living. But the common enemies of them both reproached them both. The very same men that had represented John as crazed in his intellects because he came neither eating nor drinking represented our Lord Jesus as corrupt in his morals because he came eating and drinking. He is a gluttonous man and a wine-bimmer. Ill will never speaks well. See the malice of wicked people and how they put the worst construction upon everything they meet with the gospel and in the preachers and professors of it, and hereby they think to depreciate them, but really destroy themselves. Unquote. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're on one side like John the Baptist and lived like John did or lived like Jesus did. They were both of God. Though they had different lifestyles and mannerisms and personalities. One wasn't right and the other wrong. But people will use those things to discredit the God we serve. You see, this rejection of God really is being against yourself. It will bring about your own destruction. It will bring about your own destruction. In Acts chapter 18, verse 6, when Paul was at Corinth, he said, And when these opposed themselves, and blaspheme, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own hands, I am clean. 
from henceforth I will go to you under the Gentiles. He said they opposed themselves. Why? Because they rejected the message of the gospel. 2 Timothy 2, 25 says, 25 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. If you are rejecting the truth of God, you are really opposing yourself. You're bringing destruction upon yourself by your rejection. And so this rejection of a righteous God is unreasonable. It's illogical. But I want you to notice, fourthly, a declaration in justification, a declaration of justification in action. Uh, now, two things here. First of all, the, the declaration of justifying self, and then I have a declaration of justifying God. In verses 36 through 46, you have the declaration of justifying self. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went unto the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, just drop down to verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bid him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, here's your preconceived idea. This man, if he were a prophet, wouldn't have known what, who or what manner and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. You know, it, it is very evident that this was an immoral woman. So you get the picture. Now, when it, when it says they're eating in a Pharisee's house, you have to remember how they did things back then. They didn't pull up the table in a chair like we do. They had couches. They might have, they'd have a, like a rectangular-shaped table, and they'd have couches around three sides, usually. The couches were not like our couches. They didn't have backs. And, and they were quite wide, and you would lay down, if this was a, t you know, let's say the table's here, you would lay down on, on your side like this, prop yourself up with your right hand, and you would use your left hand to feed yourself off the table. And so you, they were laying down with their head up toward the table, their feet out the, straight out from the back. And so they would lay down side by side. And that's how, you know, they would relax and fellowship and eat. So Jesus is laying on a couch. His feet are out the back, away from him. And this woman comes in and starts, you know, washing his feet with her hair and so on. So, so that's, that's the picture. Uh, it's not like he's sitting at a table. Uh, but notice th this reaction here. Um, in verse, uh, let's drop down to verse, uh, um, well, again, verse 39. And when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what, who or what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he, he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said, Simon, seest thou this woman? So he's speaking to Simon. You see this woman? I entered into thine house, Simon. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. 
Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou dost not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Now, so he says, you didn't wash my feet, you gave me no kiss of greeting, and you did not anoint my head with oil. Now, we would say in our culture, big deal. That doesn't mean anything to us. But in that, it did. You see, to wash his feet was to honor him or to show service to one. Remember Jesus in John chapter 13, he washed his disciples' feet as a servant. Um, his book, Manners and Customs, the uh, concerning the washing the feet, I don't know what the name of this guy is here, Fred Wright, says, after bowing, greeting, and kissing, the eastern guest is offered water for washing the feet. Wearing of sandals would naturally necessitate foot washing, but it is often done when shoes have been worn. A servant will assist the guest by pouring water upon his feet or a copper base, over a copper basin, rubbing the feet with his hands and wiping them with a napkin. When Jesus' disciples were gathered together, the Savior took the place of the servant and washed the feet of his disciples, who themselves had disdained to do such a humble task. John tells us that he laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water in the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel. Paul gave us, as a recommendation of a widow, before a church, to take care of a widow, they asked her this question. If she washed the saints' feet, was she a lady that served? That's the question. You know, this custom was also common in the Old Testament. In fact, in 1 Samuel 25, 41, that noble woman, Abigail, you know what she said to David? She said she would wash the feet of her Lord and his servants. She was a very virtuous woman. But she was, she was counted a privilege and an honor to serve David. So, you might say it shows, you know, humility and service and re, uh, to the one whom you're washing feet. There was no kiss of greeting. Of course, that's a greeting of love, of appreciation, of respect. There was no anointing the head with oil. You know, this oil was a perfume, something pleasant. Again, that was, a, that was a custom in those times. They'd anoint your head with oil. David said, the Lord will anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Um, you know, these, these customs speak of serving, honor, and hospitality, none of which Simon did. None of them. And in essence, Simon did not see himself as in need of a Savior or to show reverence or respect to him. Or hospitality. It was just typical hospitality, which he did not show.
So in essence, Simon didn't see himself as in need of a savior, but probably invited Jesus to his home to examine and critique. And find the reason to reject him as the Messiah, the King of Israel. You know, those in rebellion and unbelief will come to church. They'll come to the Bible, to a church, looking for something to discredit God. Rather than looking for something to meet their need. And they do that so that they can justify themselves. And that's what the Pharisees did. Verse 30 again says, But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. So they justified themselves and condemned God. You know, when a person rejects Christ as a Lord and Savior, that's what they're doing. They're justifying themselves and declaring that I'm not wrong. God is. God is. But notice, secondly, the, de the declaration of justifying God. Um, verses 44. And, and I want you to notice here, you know, he, he's speaking here of the woman. But Jesus used her works to justify God before men. Notice verse 44. It says, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into the house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since I, the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou dost not anoint. This woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which were many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So, so he, he says, you see this woman here? You see what she's doing? So he, he uses her works to show that she justified God in the eyes of men. He said unto Simon, and then he, he, he used this phrase over and over again, verse 44, 45, 46. He says, uh, and thou, and thou, and thou, and thou. Speaking to Simon. Thou seest, thou seest, thou seest, thou seest. You see what this woman's doing? You see it? There's verse 29 also. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God. How did they justify God? Being baptized. You see, their works showed the world that they declared that God is right. He's righteous. Of course, this agrees with Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, talks about, by their fruits ye shall know them. So by her humility of service and worship, she showed that she had a repentant heart. Now, it was her faith in Christ that justified her 
before God. Look at verse 50. And he said to the woman, now he just, he just talked about her works before Simon, but now he says to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. So it was her faith in Christ that justified her before God. Now, go to, with, with these thoughts in mind, go to James chapter 2. And I believe this is what James, this is, this is an illustration of, of what James is talking about in James chapter 2, verse 14. James 2, 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. In other words, you know, faith without works is dead. There's a lot of people that say they believe in God, but believing God doesn't save you. Real belief or real saving faith requires an action. Wilt thou, O vain man, wilt thou know, O vain man, verse 20, that faith without works is dead. So, we see here a declaration of justifying God. She declared to everyone around her, by her works, that God is right. That God is just. And by her service and worship of the Lord, she showed that she had put her faith and her trust in him to save her from her sins. See, one shows, or one justifies self. The other justifies God. Who are we justifying? Who is our life? Does our life declare that we are right or that God is right? You know, there's a verse in Peter that says that we ought to give an answer to every man of the reason of the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear. Why do we do what we do? Well, it's because I think I'm right. No, it's because God is right. It's because God is right. You know, I'll be honest with you. If I had done things the way I wanted them done, there'd be a lot of things I'd have done different. But I came to the conclusion that God's right. I'm not. I'm only right as I follow him. 
to obey him. So we ought to show to the world that God is right. Remember, we are the only Bible some people read. Might God help us declare that God is righteous in all his ways.